Welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have stronger, more meaningful conversations with ourselves and with other people. I'm your host, Sarah Noll Wilson, and joining me this week is Neil Miller, and we will be talking about all things remote, hybrid, digital workplace, and in a really uh, ironic, fun twist of fate, we tried to record this last week, and we, I was having, when I say we, I was having some technical issue. So we're excited to be back. But a little bit about Neil before I bring him on. Neil Miller is the director of the Digital Workplace. He has talked with over 200 of the best thinkers and leaders in the world about how to rebuild work for the digital age by redefining productivity, collaboration, leadership, technology, and culture. He's a prolific thought stealer and curator of the most amazing list of checking questions in the world. Welcome. Hi, Neil. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. Glad to be here. What What else would you want people to know about you? Oh man, just I, I'm just don't take me too seriously. Like I said, like I, I yeah. steal other people's <laughs> thoughts. I try to I talk with a lot of people and say like that's interesting, and then I, I play around with it and try something else. And I think and we're all in this place of like trying to figure out what this means uh, about how to do mm. digital work, and so. The things that we say today, I reserve the right to change my mind on and say it differently next year. So. <laughs> I, I think that's a, I love, I love that disclaimer. And I think that should apply to everything is yeah. what we know now and where I'm at now. This is right. what I believe. And right. I, yep. <laughs> now the thing, the thing that people should know about you and your work and your journey is you have, you have worked in the space of, from a remote perspective, from a digital perspective, you've been exploring these topics before all of us sort of got thrown into it in the last two years. So take us back a little bit and talk us through your journey of where you started to where you are now um, before we dig into all of the fun stuff of figuring yeah. out how do we redefine work now. So my journey starts in India, actually. Um, I went there in 2010 and um, was just way in over my head, obviously anyone would be um, there trying to figure out how to do business, how to do work, um, and really in, enjoyed the experience a lot, but was also in like a, a stressful place to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to make this work? Um, I ended up working with some of the uh, software companies that were based in, in Chennai and really enjoyed that work, had a lot of fun, but had young kids and were really missing the, the grandparent effect. And we're looking mm. forward to bringing that back into our lives. And so we decided to move back to uh, my home in, in Indiana. And so pretty much just said to all the companies I was working with, they're like, hey, it's been fun. I'm packing up, leaving. Um, see you later. Uh, but a, a few of them said, well, let's try to make this work. Let's see if we can extend this a little bit longer. So that was my first experience into remote work um, was trying to maintain those relationships and the work I was doing for those companies from the US while they were all in India. So I was, um, it wasn't even a distributed company. It was still very much an in-office company. Mm. I was just, which is familiar for a lot of people. I think that's how a lot of companies get into this or used to get into it, was they just had one yeah. person that moved away they didn't want to lose. So they tried to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, no, that's a, I mean, that's a really great point. And, and there's so many areas that I, I hope that we'll have time to explore because, you know, if we would have been talking about this three years ago, mm -hmm. the percentage of people impacted by thinking about how do I not only just set up a company for remote work or for hybrid work, how, you know, how, how do I lead it? And then as team members, how do I work within it would have been much smaller. And obviously, we all know that over the last couple of years, many of us were put into a situation to figure it out much faster. What 
um, you know, as you think about, well, let me let me start here, you know, because when you were talking about um, working in a place that was largely office centered, when I think about my last organization that I worked for, it was the same sort of situation. We had a small group of people who were, you know, in the field, <laughs> you yep. know, they were the field people, the salespeople, all of that. And and one of the things that was a constant struggle then was just that idea of how do we include people? How do we make sure that communication was uh, accessible and equitable? You know, I don't think that I thought of it as an, an equity thing back at the time, but I understand it now that yep. um, when, when we have groups of people who don't have, you know, full access to the information, whether it's formal or informal, um, that creates inequities. And so, you know, I'm curious, you know, what what have you observed um, from your perspective of the shift of where where were we pre-pandemic? Mm-hmm. What were some of the, you know, obviously the big shifts we saw during the pandemic and where what are the things you're observing now? I know that's a really big question. No, no. I, 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 it's great to point out that like, Salespeople have been like the original remote employees for a long time. Fuel yeah. sales, like they were just they're on the on the go and, and out there, and they don't have access. They're not in those meetings. Um, they're not there. And if they maybe get a memo later on that that summarizes what happened, like that's that's it. Um. So so to bring it back to the other use case, I would say is also one for talent. Uh, before was similar to what I talked about. Like somebody moves away, you don't. You don't want to replace them or you feel like you can't replace them. So you're going to make some accommodations um, for those things. But in both those situations, for the most part, the office, the nucleus in the office, the people there could pretty much just say like, hey, you know, we'll try to send something here or there. Um, maybe we'll, we'll get something out. But uh, in a lot of ways, it was still like, hey, this is a perk. This is a good thing yeah. that you get to do. Yeah. So you got to deal with the the bad stuff that comes along with that. Um and I that that's where I see the big difference in how companies are responding now. We're, we're talking 2022, is that there are still many executives that still have that mindset, which says that mm. if if you're going to work from home, you you're the one that needs to accommodate uh, because mm. the rest of us are doing. We want to be back in the office. We all love it. We're all going to be better together. We're all going to be doing all this stuff. And if if you want that, and if you want to, there's always this tinge of like you're, you know, you're being a little bit lazy. Like if you really wanted to Mm. advance your career, you'd come back to the office if you really want to do all these things. Um, So there's that side of, I I hear that from people. Um, And then there's the other side, which, which says, no, like we, we do need to figure out how to be, like you mentioned, equitable to everybody and realize this is not just a perk. This is how we want to work. This is if we want the best talent out there, we have to change our systems. We have to change the way that we work and rebuild. Um, the way we do collaboration, the way we do leadership to push forward. So that, that's the key difference I see right now is, is that difference in perspective of is remote work just like, oh, this is what, you know, this is what the kids want now. We got to accommodate for them. Yeah. Those <laughs> damn millennials and this kind of stuff. Um, but it's like, no, like we're the ones making the decisions now. So trying to figure out the best yeah. blend of that. Yeah. Well, and you and I have had uh, countless conversations just about the fact that Work hasn't worked for a lot of people for a really long time, yeah. right? How how it's structured, the um, the limitation of autonomy, right, over your time. You know, even I think about, I think for my own journey, um, you know, one of the things that was one of the biggest surprises to me, and uh, when I moved from working for an organization to working for myself, that I wasn't prepared for, was how different freedom felt from mm. flexibility, mm. and I. 
And I would say that I, I worked for, I was fortunate enough that the team that I worked for, so I can't speak because it wasn't organization wide, right? But my, my team and my leadership, we got to a point where it was, well, being able to have freedom and autonomy uh, from a standpoint of where you're working um, isn't a privilege, but it's a, almost a right. It's becoming mm-hmm. a right to sort of, you know, own, own, own where you want to work. Not, not in the degree that we are now. It's still very predominantly in an office space. But, oh, hey, I have an appointment in the morning. It's just faster and it's more, you know, it'll be more efficient for me to stay home and work. But And so I had an incredible amount of flexibility. And I didn't realize how different it would feel to have freedom, freedom, real true freedom of where did I want to work? When did I want to work? And and I understand that not every industry um, can offer that. um, But that's something I've been working on of how can I give that to my colleagues Mm -hmm. as much as possible, right? And so I'm just curious to, you know, hear your thoughts or your reflections on what comes up for you as I share that. Yeah, uh, that's huge. I think the flexibility piece, like you mentioned, was often given as a something you earned um, as Mm. you proved that, you know, Sarah's still going to get her work done. We're still going to move forward on our projects, even if she isn't here. Um, And and that's not something you prove like one week. Like it takes many years to build up that kind of trust um, in, in the typical office setting to do that. And so to move into a place now where it's like as soon as you hire somebody and they're apart from you and you're not checking in on them every hour Mm. to figure out what's going on. Um, you kind of have to start with that trust and that's not an easy thing Mm. to do for people who are not used to that. Um, Mm. the, the freedom element I feel like is, is a, a big one too, because, um, I feel like most, most people are not ready for the responsibility that comes with being on your own. Um, Mm. I mean, you've, I'm sure experienced this, like as soon as you, you had that first day when you're by yourself, it's like, what do you do? Well, right. (laughs) Like whatever you think you should do. Um, it's it's hard. And we, most of us have not worked at our own personal productivity systems. Um, most of us don't know the best kind of collaboration techniques, um, to prioritize what we need to do, to talk about it, to keep people in the loop, to figure out what is a distraction, how to handle internal distractions, mm. how to handle external distractions. I mean, it's easy in the office to say like, I didn't get my work done because all of these coworkers were coming around and everyone else was, was bothering yeah. me. But it's tough when you're home all day long and there's nobody else home and you still get distracted and you're still going <laughs> off to YouTube and watching stuff. It's like, that's on you. Um, and to figure yeah. out how to overcome those things. So yeah, I, I love those topics of freedom and flexibility. There's yeah. So you brought up two things that I want to, I want to explore um, separately. But the first was that idea of, you you have to start from a place of trust. And this is something that we certainly we see and we hear in a number of the clients that we work with, right? There's sort of the the spectrum of um, some people who are in positions of leadership who who will say things like, oh, people just don't want to work or yeah. they're not as, you know, productive or effective. And um and and that's a it's a really great point you bring up that in the past it was earned, you know, so that there wasn't, but but we really do have to start off from that standpoint. And so what, you know, what are the things when you think about being a leader in this space? I want to, I want to look at it in a couple of different ways, but what, where do you feel like are some of the watch outs or traps that leaders fall into or can fall into? And then what are some of the things they um, maybe need to think about doing differently? Because I mean, one of we, we are, it is a substantial change 
Like it is a significant change for so many of the people that we're working with because they're used to, I'm eval- and they don't even realize that they were evaluating productivity based off of yep. being visibly present. And now it's requiring even them to show up differently. And it's requiring them to lose some things in the process. And yep. we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, so let's start first with what are just some of those consistent traps or watchouts or pitfalls, however you want to say it, that you, you see leaders commonly falling into? I think the biggest one is it. this is the way it worked for me. Therefore, this is the right path. Mm. Um, mm. which it, I mean, it's, it's human nature. It's, it's what we kind of, we all do, but this is what you see. You see big time executives getting on and saying, I don't see how this is going to work. I don't see how you're going to advance in your career. If you're going to work from home, it's just not going to happen because it didn't happen for them. And because right. this is, that's the way they built their career. I mean, how many CEOs could you name before the pandemic that had ever decided they were going to take uh, a season and work remotely? I didn't know any yeah. because that, that was mm-hmm. kind of a sign that says, hey, I, I'm taking an alternative path. And if you're not in the office, you're not in those internal conversations, you don't get the politic around and you don't get those big assignments and the big jobs that are there. Um, so I, I think the, the big thing leaders need to, to look at now is um, I, yeah, I was reading something about anthropology. I like cultural anthropology type stuff. And I came across this quote that said, like, when the world is stable and things are not changing very much, then learning what your ancestors did is the best approach. Like whatever worked for them is is likely what's gonna happen. Whenever the world is unstable and it is changing quite a lot, then you have a different problem. You have to figure out what you need to unlearn that your ancestors did and how you need to reapply that. And th- that's true in any time you're, you're around raising children or looking at society, but it's also true in the work world. And if you're a manager right now looking forward, like, yeah, maybe back in, in the 70s, 80s, like you could look around at people and say, look, I know how to be successful. This is the track. Get on it. You're going to be fine. Looking at the track now, like you cannot give that kind of advice mm-hmm. to the people that, that work with you because the, the world of work is changing so much and there's no way in, in 2030 it's going to look like it does now. So trying to drop yeah. a lot of those specifics about this is how you be successful and figuring out what you need to unlearn and what you need to relearn uh, coming up. I think that's that's the biggest trap in, in the mindset for for most leaders to get out. I think when it comes down to like day-to-day interactions, the productivity question is the best one. I, I'd love it whenever people, the first question to me is like, well, how do I make sure that my, my people are doing things and being productive? And it's like, yes, that, that's exactly what I wanted you to ask. Because my question is, <laughs> how did you know they were doing it before? <laughs> right, exactly. I do the same yeah. thing. Like, well, so tell me how you measured it before. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> well, keep, keep it's usually what I meant with. We don't know. <laughs> Mostly it was because you just looked up and people were chatting or were had their heads down and typing something. That was the, that was the metric for whether yeah. or not things, people yeah. were being productive. It's like, well, that, that was a pretty bad metric. So let's come up with something else. Right. Um, and then that, that pushes the discussion to say like, okay, maybe we can actually judge productivity, not based on what time you showed up. If you were, were you five minutes late today? And therefore you're a bad worker. No, like, did you actually get something done today? And how are we met? How are we, you know, judging that? How, what kind of metrics do we have around that? Um, and then, and then that just opens up a whole new world to say like, there, there are many ways to judge productivity and we're probably using yeah. terrible ones right now. And if we can just improve those slightly, Man, how how much better would that be? Not just for your business, but for people's lives and how we do work. So those are some of the easy traps. Right. 
No, I no, I appreciate that. Let's so let's go. Let's let's let's. Uh, I want to go back to the first one from that standpoint of when things are stable, because I, I I think that's a really that's a really interesting uh, frame to think about or perspective of hey, when things are stable, like yeah, keep keep doing what you're doing. We. I I think we are in the biggest disruption. I mean, certainly we're in the biggest disruption I've ever experienced in in my career, and and you know, it might not be in my lifetime because who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But we are. I mean, I, you know, somebody was like, "I'm kind of done being in a historical moment. It's like I just need a breath." But but you know, two things that came up for me as I was hearing you talk. One is, you know, one of the things we are huge proponents of is adopting and embracing experimentators Mm. mindset, like embracing experimentation, because the world is adapting and adjusting so quickly. And, and, and all of our norms got ripped out, if you will. And so that's one piece of it is that the change is just it was always inevitable, but the, the pace and the rate and now it's not even just change, it's the uncertainty, it's the complexity. And then, and then you add on to the fact of, well, I had another thought, and I'm gonna (laughs) see if I can catch her. It always comes Um, back at some point. It always it will. It will come back and it'll either make sense and be brilliant or it'll just come back and it'll just say, hi, there you are. But, um, you know, but also, you know, so thinking about that from the standpoint of uh, the fact that, again, I mean, I, I, I do say this uh, lovingly and from a place of hard truth, work hasn't worked for a lot of people for a really long time. And we have been given this gift I think it's a strange, like strange way to mm-hmm. say it, but we've been given this gift to rethink and think about work differently. And that connects to that second point you were making from the standpoint of, you know, productivity and engagement. And, you know, when you were mentioning earlier, most of us have never had the opportunity or the time or the privilege to really understand and explore when am I at my mm. best? Because we know we all have different cir- circadian rhythms. We all have different times when we're more productive, right? Some people are very much morning people. I I can crank out, you know, if I am just wired and it's nine o'clock at night, the amount of emails and work <laughs> I can get done between nine and 1130 is remarkable. And, and, and really rethinking these rules, because that's one of the things that, you know, when things when we've done things a certain way for so long, it's really easy for us to see them as the only yep. way or the rule instead of just a possibility. And um, so I'm, I'm a big proponent when I'm talking to people like, well, is that a rule or is that just a possibility? And, you know, how do we rethink this? When you think about um, when, with everything that you've but I mean, because this is your world, you think about this every day, you're talking about it, you're researching, you're connecting with people, you're working with companies. What for you, what would you love to see the future of work look like? Man, that's, that's a big question. It's something I have given a lot of thought to. And like, I, I see all these things like remote work, um, discussions about four day work weeks, um, hybrid work. These, these are like stepping stones for me. Like wh- where are we actually mm. going towards? What's, what's a more mm. like, what's the ideal future that we're trying to get to? Um, because if we don't think about it, the future we're going to is faster, better, cheaper, like just more, 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 more. Um, if we look back to like uh, people who talked about, I, I did a lot of research into length of work weeks, you know, in, in the past. Mm. Um, and, and the idea that 
the five day work week is something we created. Like it, it wasn't just set right. in stone. Like it's it's only been there for uh, about seventy years or so. Um, it used to be very typical that it was a six day work week uh, for workers, and this mm-hmm. even is like the six day work week came from the industrial revolution, and we had to figure out right. like how to bring people in and time them on their work and all these these types of things. It's like okay, people back then when, when they kind of were making changes and realized working people for seven days and straight was not good. Not because these people were necessarily just good-hearted folks, but pe- they were making mistakes. They were sleeping on the job because they were mm-hmm. exhausted, and it was just bad for business to work people seven days a week. So they went down to six, and then Henry Ford comes in, and he has a complicated history, but he moved things down to five because he felt like that was also better. Uh, there were less mistakes, and people could focus in more. And that's when we were doing more manufacturing type jobs. Um, today, right. a lot of people are in knowledge positions. Um, and knowledge mm-hmm. positions is not the same as just going out there and working for eight hours with your hands. Most people probably yeah. only have about three or four hours of really great productive work that they're doing a day. And the rest is just kind of filler that, that falls in. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, if we, if we step back and look at like, what is that ideal future that we want to get to? I mean, we can, we'll have different perspectives, but I think we'd all agree like working less would be great. Like I, I would love to, right. to see a future <laughs> where, like we just don't have to work as much um, and people yeah. still had all their needs met and we we could all kind of mm. be in a place where, yeah, there's still going to be things to do. We're humans. We love to solve problems. Uh, we're always about that. But like doing less of that for your survival um, would be yeah. a much better place. So when I think about like where all these conversations are leading towards, that that's what it is for me. Is like how can we still do great things, still enjoy what we do, but really try to decouple it from the the need for survival, the need for tracking mm. hours, mm. Uh, those types of things. So that's my heart in it. If we aren't clear, or at least haven't taken some time to imagine what we're moving towards, you know, one, we might miss an opportunity to move towards it much, much more quickly and much more intentionally. And, you know, or it just becomes a variations on the themes we're experiencing right now. I mean, I, I, sometimes I joke and it's not joking. I talk to my team and I go, how do we, how do we get down to like two and a half days? For sure. Like, how do we, you know, or, or, or to be much more, um, I don't want to say seasonal, but there are times when there are busy times and there are times when there's slow and there's quiet times. And that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there's the 40 hour work week because it's to your point, it was better than the six or the seven day, but that's still a social construct. And, you know, and <clears throat> one of the things that I think about, and I don't remember if I, if I had shared this story with you before or not. Um, and I can't remember if I've talked, I don't think I've talked about this on the show, but you know, one, Every research ever done for the last 30 years on engagement basically fundamentally hasn't changed. (laughs) You know, Gallup and all of their surveys are, you know, whatever, 25% is actively disengaged this much. You know, I mean, I forget what the numbers are, but they basically haven't haven't shifted. And one of the things I was really interested in um, when I was getting my master's was rethinking and just starting to play with, well, how can we think differently about work? And how can we think differently about productivity and challenge the norms? And I was fortunate. Well, at the time, I was fortunate, and then it ended up not being fortunate. (laughs) But at the time, I was fortunate that they let me run an experiment. And I was managing a team that was um, responsible for processing licensing contracts. So it was very uh, routine. It was very numbers driven, right? We had so many contracts that needed to be reviewed a day and we had all of those ROIs that we had to hit. 
And what I was interested in was if we if we set a stretch goal of, you know, if they were supposed to complete 15 contracts a day, let's say the goal was 17 or 18. But whenever they finished it, they could leave for the day, regardless of how early they got it done. Yeah. And what no surprise, what we found is that the vast majority of people were actually able to hit that number. They were, you know, right. They the uh, the focus was much higher. The distractions were much lower because what was on the line was their time, yeah. their time with their family, time to run errands, time to do whatever. And, and, and team members loved it because they're like, I, I love that I have something to work for. That's actually really meaningful for me. And, and they felt good and right, you know, but unfortunately it got pulled because, you know, leadership was like, well, if they can do that much in six hours, that's they should be able question. to do two. I was like, yeah, no, but you're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. You're missing the point. And, and, and how do we, I, and again, I know this isn't, this isn't going to be possible for every industry. And I, you know, I think that's some of the criticism I hear too, is like, well, we can't do this over here. Well, you know, our world is, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, an, it's not about like equality isn't about same, right? Like it's, you know, like it's, we aren't going to all be working in the same way. So I understand there are some industries that, that might not be able to function in, in this way, but is you talk about being like our so much of our workforce is knowledge workers, right? It's moving to the creative and design and and that uh, it takes a different kind of energy. It takes a kind of different thinking. And, and what does it look like to really shift to a place of just output based off of what you're creating versus the hours you've worked. Yeah. Um, and that's something I, I keep trying to experiment with, you know, for the team. I mean, it's not, I, I, I can't play in that room by those rules yet, just because when you're the founder, you have a lot to manage. But my goal is always like, I don't want you to work more than 32 hours. And if there's weeks where you're working less because you were able to get it all done, great. Like, I don't need you to clock in. I don't, I trust you and the work is getting done, therefore. And I just, I, I I just can't help but wonder, you know, we we see the results of the companies that are moving to four day work weeks. And and just for people listening, I'm I'm personally I'm not pro for 10 hour days. Right. Because, yeah. again, to your point, what research consistently shows, it's like three and a half hours <laughs> that we're truly productive and we're just filling the rest of the time with BS meetings or <laughs> tasks or whatever the case is. But what would be possible, not not just for work. But just for our world, if we had more time to be in community together, if we had more time to recover, if we had more time to, um, I don't know, contribute to the community in a different way. And I, I really appreciate your language of decoupling from our survival. Yeah. Because right now you have to, I mean, you largely have to work in order to survive. That's how our system is set up. Yeah. And th that's a big shift to make. Like, I don't know. I, I always... Uh... I, I'm definitely like a, a nerd in many ways. And so I like sci-fi. And so I think back to like Star Trek. And if you, mm. if you catch some of the, the reasons why these people are going off on these crazy adventures in space and exploring things that they're, they're not doing it for monetary value. They're not going out there and trying to figure out what they can mm. mine, what they can do. If you, if you catch some of the, the things they say, especially like in the, the next generation episode, it's because they said, Hey, we've, we fixed everything at home. Like, we, we, we did it mm -hmm. all. Like we stopped, we, we, we reached a peak in our society and we said like, we were great. Let's start combine our assets to try to actually build things. Um, and if you look just at our planet and all the other problems we're facing, like so much of it just comes from this insatiable need for more. And like, yeah. what if that insatiable need for more shifted from money into time? 
You said like, I got to have as much time as I want so I can just do the things that I want to do and do stuff. And we can put like money becomes like, oh yeah, sure. We can throw that in. We can build spaceships. We can travel around do whatever we want. Um, But yeah, to, to say like that, that's really what we should be valuing more is, is the the time Mm -hmm. we get and people still do cool stuff. Like you saw it during the pandemic, you saw it during lots of other things. Like if you just give people space and say, Hey, here, your needs are met, like go out. Nope. Some people are just going to sit around and do nothing. Cool, that's fine. But a lot of people yeah. are still going to like say, well, I got to solve something. I got to do something. I want to try something new, mm-hmm. explore something new. So I'm real excited about that. More with Neil Miller after this. You know, what are we missing? What are we missing because we're such a culture of grind and hustle? Mm-hmm. What are we missing because of, right? I mean, this, I mean, this gets into a much bigger conversation about capitalism and all, and all of that. But, but again, I go back to, we, we have been gifted this opportunity to start to rethink and to reimagine and to create something new and different. And, you know, and I'm speaking from my experience, there are times when, it can be easy to maybe question whether it's worth it or wonder, can we still be successful if we do it differently? Those are things that come up for me of, well, shoot, are we going to be as sustainable as we could be if people aren't working as many hours? And then I just go back to, nope, like a company for humans, yeah. from my perspective, is a company for humans. And that means time for rest and time for, you know, um, being able to think and, 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 and um, explore and to create when you think about, so, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the traps. It, it, let's just look at the world we're in right now, right? And so, so stepping back from the, you know, I think the, 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 <laughs> the vision that we would both have of just like, right, how do right. we work less or how do we work and have more time for more important things? But the reality is now that this is our structure and so many organizations have moved to hybrid because it's almost, I mean, it's a non-negotiable in a lot of industries because workers are demanding it, which Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here for. What are some of the best practices? Like what are the things that are non-negotiables as we think about moving to a more distributed workforce, um, whether that's hybrid, whether that's virtual. Um, so I'll just, I'll pause there for a second. What are, what are some of the things that are just like, and, 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 I am curious to get down to behaviorals of like leaders, because I know we have a lot of people who listen to the show who are in those positions, whether it's from an HR perspective or leading functions. So what are the non-negotiables that a leader needs to be thinking about? I will start off to say hybrid is the hardest option of all to choose. Um, Yeah, it is the most I would like if you're just going for like, I just want my business to keep going like call everyone back in the office. That's going to be much easier. Yeah. And if people don't want to do it, fine, let them go. Find the people who want to work in the office and just roll with that. Um, you have this other side of completely distributed virtual work, which if you look back um, at companies who have really succeeded in this, I would say that they all, most of them got their start uh, maybe 10 years ago, 2010, 2012 or so is when you start to see the founding of some of these large thousand plus person companies that are completely distributed. Um, now when I say completely distributed, they still use physical space from time to time, um, mm-hmm. whether it be on a flexible arrangement or they still get together. Like they were, they were hosting like, you know, off sites once or twice a year, they're still meeting together. So don't, don't hear that as like, uh, they're never together. They're always just at home. Um, but th- those companies have been working on that model and reached a level of maturity, I would say, 
um, that they have playbooks out there. You can follow them. Um, it takes a lot of adjustment to get to, um, but that, that's like a model out there. Hybrid is new. Like no one's tried to do mm-hmm. both these at the same time for the same people. Um, you know, that there've been flexible work arrangements for some people. Some people maybe working part-time or some other things, but it's, it's been largely like, Hey, the office is the center. If you want to get back, you got to be at the nucleus. You got to be here and know where things are to try to do that. And also have all these digital tools that you're using around is really tough. Um, so I, I would mm. say if you really want hybrid to be sustainable, you have to find a way to m- move the office out of the nucleus position and start to look mm. at all these digital mm. tools that you have, whether it be collaboration, project management, your kind of core systems, make those the central source of truth and everything else happens around them. And then you add your office back in as a feature, as just mm. something else that it's like, by the way, we also have an office we can use. Uh, you know, we, we can mm. get together for meetings. We can figure out what what's better to do in person, team building and, and certain forms of collaboration. Um, it does benefit from that extra layer of being in person, but not seeing it as the default nucleus and seeing it as, hey, this is this is a, a feature we get to use when we need it, uh, not the the assumption that that's where the central source of truth is. I think that that's the core thing that if, if companies really want to pursue this and do it well. The other option is you do hybrid for a couple of years, uh, people get upset, they, they get frustrated, the in-office people continue to do their own thing, and then people outside the office are left behind, and then people get mad, and everyone, somebody finally is going to say, all right, enough of this, no, no more letting the kids run the show, the adults are back in here, we're getting back, come back to the office, we're doing that. Um, that's like yeah. what's going to happen with a lot of companies over the next couple of years, is they're not going to do it well, and then hybrid mm. and remote mm-hmm. and digital is going to get blamed for it. And then they're just going to call mm. everyone back and force them there. Yeah, I no, I can definitely see that happening. And I, you know, that 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 shift of even even the 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 language and the visual of where's the nucleus? Mm-hmm. What's the core? You know, where where does the core business operate from? Because as long as it's from the physical office, it's always going to be like it was back when, you know, I was talking earlier of, well, how do we, how do we adapt what we're doing to include the few people yeah. or whatever the case it's always is an instead of, it's always an, accom- yeah, it's always an accommodation. And instead of, and I, yeah, I really, I love that, that reframe of, it's almost like, think of yourself as a, you know, remote first mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and, and build the systems and structures from that place. And then I, I, I really appreciate that, that reframe. And I, I'm with you. I think that what I see is the companies that are surviving or thriving in this environment, even though it is still a lot of things that are new for them to figure out and figure out how they communicate are ones that made a more abrupt step away from the physical office um, then the ones that are, no, this is who we are. And we're just going to do it this, you know, for this long or this long. And, you know, I, <clears throat> and there's a lot of, and it's almost, it's like living in two different worlds, yep. but it's being managed by people who largely only knew one world. Yep. <laughs> and so the, the preference and the priority will, won't be for the the digital space, but and, and it's such a missed opportunity, you know, and I, and, and, um, I smiled a little bit when you said, and digital will get blamed when it doesn't work. And it's like, it totally will instead of our inability to yeah. to adapt and adjust I, I, I and try new things. Thing. So it's like, hey, remote's not working. Like, people were excited about it before, but it's just not sustainable. We can't do it. And, and same, like, yeah. remote's the problem. 
remote's not the problem. It's just the way that you've set up your business, your collaboration practices, the way you interact with each other, the way you measure productivity, like all that's based in the office. And yeah, it, if, if that's still your nucleus and you're trying to work from outside, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the companies you think do it really well? You had, you had, you, you alluded to it and you had said like, there's some playbooks. Who are the companies you think do it really well? Uh, I mean, um, several, several come to mind. Zapier has been there from the beginning. Um, GitLab has been there from the beginning. Mm. Um, Doist. Uh, I was just at a conference this last week and a lot of these companies were there that, that have sizable teams. Um, and again, you're not talking about like 20 person startup type thing. We're talking about yeah. like a thousand plus. Um, automatic, the people who make WordPress, uh, they've been um, distributed. Now, this this brings up an interesting point, is that most of those companies did not start with a mission to advance the cause of distributed work. They started mm. like automatic mm. was started because people were building WordPress as an open source project. And by nature, open source means a lot of people contributing it from all over the world. And so they just mm. started this thing and figured out all these ways to collaborate and move on. And they said, let's make a company out of this. And it just was not practical to say, everyone who's been working on this, we're going to hire you and bring you into the office. So they just kept the way it was and it was working. Um, Zapier is, was a side hustle that people were, were doing, um, these four guys in, in Missouri. And they were doing something else, but it just kind of evolved. And by the time they just started hiring people, but they didn't quit their other jobs that were going on. And again, they, they get to about 10 people, they're around the country, and then they want to focus only on this. And it's like, well, it doesn't make sense to start a new office. Like that's, that's the way a lot of these companies yeah. got started. And specifically that, that open source nature of a lot of these things and that dreaming nature of a lot of these things like has impacted the conversations mm. around remote work because now these are the thought leaders. You know, Matt Mullenweg, right. CEO of Automatic, you know, a huge believer in open source which affects everything else he does too. Like it affects the, his views about transparency and it affects his views about how to mm. treat people fairly and it affects his view about culture and people, other people he works with. Um, so I, I, it's kind of nice the fact that the people leading the conversations about these topics, like how just by default also have this other value set they're bringing in, um, which just yeah. is about the, um, the value of work and the value of looking at different people and, and seeing things as, as an open source and we're all in a big project together. So I, that, that's a great thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing those. I know I'd been following GitLab for a while and then it's a massive company that is, you know, so whenever people are like, oh, well, that doesn't work when you're more than, well, no, I mean, cause I understand I'm a company of, you know, three plus a yeah, slew sure. of contractors. That's not scalable. I mean, that's not the same as say we have 500 or 800 or 1500 team members. One of the things that I've observed is in this shift is uh, interactions and communications have become so much more transactional, hmm. um, even more so, right? Because we, we're missing the, the the moments of seeing each other on the way to to the break room or stopping by and asking and and you know and so I feel like that's a lot of the work that that we've been doing with leaders is. We were always doing the work of how do we be more intentional in building stronger relationships. Yep. It's just become, I feel like, even more critical now because because there's this over, I don't want to say an over-reliance on technology, but just, again, the, the adapting to it is it's become so much more transactional instead of building in these moments of building relationships. And, 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 I, would, and I would argue that companies are being led by people who may not actually be very skilled at building relationships. Right. You know, they're kind of getting the job done or they're good at setting the strategy, but, but building that kind of, um, 
intimacy, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, you know, what do you what do you see organizations that do it really well? Because one of the number one things that we hear is, well, we don't want our culture to get affected, you know, or, or it's just harder to build relationships. And and I always say, like, yeah, I, I, it's different to build relationships, but you probably weren't that great at it before you just had way more opportunities to do it. And now that you don't have those, you have to be even more intentional about it. So I'm curious to get your thoughts from a standpoint of culture and building relationships in a digital world. Yeah. What, what works really well? Uh, I think that intentionality piece comes up a lot um, because a, a lot of people had outsourced their culture to the the physical space just said like mm. hey throw these people in there we don't need to do anything you guys just get together and have fun and it kind of yeah. works like, like <laughs> sometimes yeah some, sometimes it works like just, for, sometimes for some people let's, <laughs> let's be really yeah, specific that's true that's true um and so we said like we had this culture in the office well like yeah a few people had some positive feelings about what was going on yeah you weren't doing anything like maybe you paid for drinks every once in a while but that's about mm. the extent of what you were doing to to encourage culture so uh, on one side yeah it, it's about being intentional it's about um figuring mm. out what happens i i work with a lot with people in india so we we don't physically see each other a lot uh, like it, it's very um rare that that happens but i i know that and so i think about okay what what are the reasons why I, I need to get together. This, this kind of goes into this idea of um, fidelity of communication. So like right now, you and mm -hmm. I are talking, we can hear each other's tone of voice. We can also see each other on the screen. Um, deep, pretty high fidelity, I would say, like a lot of signals going mm -hmm. into this. Mm -hmm. It would be more if we were in the same room and we could kind of bounce off each other's energy. I would see immediate feedback. There's no latency, those types of things. Um, but then you go down the spectrum. Now you're dealing with like, uh, you know, an email is pretty much just text, which leaves a lot of room for interpretation, a lot of other things that are gonna mm. be there. Um, wh whenever you're thinking about the the nature of, of these kind of synchronous formats that we have, where we're, we have to be together at the same time, that means that we had to schedule this, we actually had to schedule this twice, so, so there's a lot of effort that goes into those things, we have to think about it a lot, I have to clear my schedule, we have to work on this, I have to be prepared, come to it, so there's a lot more energy that, that comes to these things. So I would say, if you're leading a team, you're going to think about your budget of money, but also think about your budget of time. Um, we've talked about mm -hmm. time a lot. So if if you're leading a team, Sarah, and you only get over the course of the next month, you're going to have one hour together. Like, what do you mm -hmm. want to do with that one hour? What would be most important for you? That's a real Are you question. asking me that question for to real? actually answer? Yeah. No, I was, I was writing it down. Yeah. <sighs> When I think about my team, <laughs> are you going to do status was, updates? I, uh, like I, my my heart says no, but then I know that there may be <laughs> status update time. I mean, if I only got to talk to my team members, boy, I would hope and would want to just know how are you doing. <laughs> yeah, but 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 I say that I say that in this dis uncomfortable laugh of, oh, man, I don't know. Like I might. I might be pulled, right? I mean, I can see the pull to the transactional of just, you know, and even, I was just having this conversation with one of my colleagues who's a, uh, she's a, she's a contractor and team, but she was former team member. And, and I said, you know, we only see you once a week because she's in Germany. Uh -huh. And I said, and the challenge is, is that when we're only meeting once a week, when we're doing our status updates is we miss the opportunity to hear what's going on in your life. We miss the opportunity to, it's like, so we just, we need to schedule some regular virtual lunches so we can, 
we can still have that time yep. um, because because I, I that's important to me and it's important to us in our relationship. But um, it always is truncated when we only have an hour together. Yeah, you, you got to. That's what comes up for me. Yeah, you have to prioritize that, that time that you get together. Do the thing that only in person can do. Do the thing that only mm. live video can mm. do. And really, mm. like, like if you ask me, like, I'm, I'm meeting my team in India. We see each other maybe once a quarter. Like, we are eating food together. We are getting yeah. together. <laughs> and, like, because that that is something you definitely cannot do digitally. And relationship building, man, if you talk about, like, hiring in-person time to do something, it it is much better than anything else you could do. So prioritizing those things and saying, like, okay, mm. once a week we're going to get on and just play games together or, or just chat or just have – use these check-in questions and just kind of get to know each other a little bit better because – that's the only thing. Oh, that's that's what this in-person synchronous time does best. Now, status mm. updates, it's it's decent at, but so is our other asynchronous lower fidelity forms, like doing a, a form or doing a, a post in a channel, or just putting all that information somewhere else. Like it, that that gets the job done. Like it does it fine for mm-hmm. the most part. If you want to have a deeper discussion about it, you may need to get into it more. Um, but so when it comes to like the idea of, of culture and how do you build that is you have to take advantage of, of these these forms and don't don't put people in a situation where, man, they were on Zoom meetings all day long. And here's one more to do some culture bit. No one's going to want to come to that. But if I look at yeah, my schedule yeah. and I only have like four or five meetings set there every week that are recurring. And one of those is the game time I get with my my team then yeah, for sure. Like I'm going to look forward to that and yeah. be excited about that. It's uh, I, uh, that, I think that's, uh, that's a really great gift that you just gave me. And also hopefully for our audience is to, to think more intentionally about what do the thing that, that only in person can do. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I, I mean, I felt this yesterday. I had I you know was joking with my husband. I said I feel like I've been on videos just talking all day long, yep. and then was getting together with a friend. And I just was, can we just go for a walk and do a phone call? I don't, I don't want to be sitting here yeah. in this spot anymore. It's exhausting. And yeah. you know, yeah, and and also from you know one of the things that we 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 think about and talk about from a learning perspective. In a memory perspective is that one of the challenges of being in a remote setting is that if my environment isn't changing, the stimulus around me isn't changing, which makes it harder for us to retain and remember when did that happen, mm-hmm. right? Versus if we are, you know, in a, excuse me, in a physical space, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I remember yeah, you brought in brownies sure. and I have this like sensorial memory. And so how can we how can we try to create some of that? And and that idea of, you know, like we were talking when you are together with your your colleagues, because because I'll hear this from some some clients as well. You know, when we do get in person, it's so it's so energetic and it's so magical. And so we would want that all the time. And it's mm. like, well, no, part of the reason why it is so magical is because you don't have it. And so now it's special. Yeah. And because it's special, it's memorable and or it can be memorable. And it can be, you know, I think about, you know, even my my team, for example, we're all going down to a conference together in New Orleans, and we're, we're renting this amazing Airbnb house. And and yes, we're there to work, and we're also there to 
really spend good time together. So it is, where are we going to eat? What are the things we want to do? How do we want to be really intentional with our time together? That isn't just, oh, we're going to be at this conference and speaking and meeting people, but being really intentional. And you're just working on emails all the time. Like you've, you've missed out. Like that was was awesome. You had this, this chance to be together and to go out and do things and to stay up late and, you know, have fun. And yeah. Yeah. Why? Um, one of the things we'll do for people who are listening, because one one of the things I really appreciate about the work that Neil has done is just created such a library of depth of resources of 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 recommendations, because that point you made of if I'm on calls every single day, um, then it makes it harder. And, and so so that's another area we see people struggling with is that shift to asynchronistic communication and collaboration and, um, and, and how it's important to figure out where can we get more efficient? That's not just another meeting. That's not just another space on the calendar. Right. (laughs) And so that we can free that up so that when we are together, we're more, more present and present and we're not exhausted. So we'll, we'll share, we'll be sure to share the link to your website and, um, and the other thing is if you're listening to this and you're, you're thinking, huh, where, like, where are we at on our journey? Um, can you just talk a little bit about the, the, the five levels yeah. that you've created through your research of identifying where you are as an organization? Cause that was incredibly helpful for me as I think about where we are on our journey and also where, where we can go. Um, so I'd love to have you share that with the yeah, audience. This, this is a great example of thought stealing. Um, this was, this came from, uh, <laughs> Matt Mullenweg, um, we talked about from the CEO of automatic, um, he used it to talk about like some distributed work principles of, of different layers that you go through. Um, and so I adopted or adapted that, um, into just a full out digital work. Like when it comes to building a digital workplace, which means a workplace that doesn't have the office at the center. Like, what does that look like? And recognizing it's not just a shift you make overnight. It's a, it's a process and it's a, mm. a level thing. Um, so, yeah, we, we came up with these, these five levels and did an assessment about it. The assessment's not like super scientific. It's just a couple benchmarks from other companies that we've interviewed and, and talked to, recognizing where they are in their journey, the types of things they're focused on, how they measure their productivity. How do they think about leadership? How do they think about culture? And saying, okay, if... If you can answer these questions in this way, you're probably at these different levels. And like we say, like a level one is just you're you're still very office centric. Uh, level two is like what we like to call a holding pattern, where you've you've mm-hmm. taken off the, the the planes in the air, but you're just circling around, waiting to land again, or trying to figure out, hey, this is a little bit uncomfortable, trying to figure out where to go next. And then when you, as you realize, you think, well, we don't have to go down; we could go up. Um, so then that mm-hmm. that opens up levels three and four. Level three is more just saying, you know this is actually nice. Like we could, we could actually do some things with this, these tools that we have and, and they could make work better. So starting to see a few of those advantages. Um, level four is when you're really trying to re-optimize. You, you really start to rebuild all your systems around values like time and values like mm. intentionality and values like treating people like humans um, is when you, you can really look back and realize that, okay, we have this, this uh, paid time off request, but like the old system was not working that well just to give people two weeks off a, um, a year and to measure that in that way. And so to push that to, to another level and say, okay, what, what would it look like if we extended that? Or what if we looked at if we didn't track that at all? Um, and a lot of companies started giving unlimited PTO. So that's kind of like saying that we're valuing time, take as much time as you want off there. But 
that doesn't work for everybody because a lot of people then stop mm-hmm. taking time off altogether. Because right, right. There's right. like in the midst of it. So what does it look like to then experiment into this level five you talked about too, or this experimentation phase and say, what if we did, I know people who are doing mandatory time off and saying like, hey, yeah. once a once a season, you need to be off for a week or we're all taking mm-hmm. time off this week because if mm-hmm. I'm taking time off, I'm thinking, man, Sarah's getting all this work done. It's going to be when I get back mm-hmm. in the office, there's going to be a lot of stuff piled up for me. Well, if we both took the same week off, then that would be nice because we didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. that. Again, like you said, lots of industries can't do this exactly the same way. But yeah, like you said, experiment with it. But I will say mm-hmm. experiment um, with a solid foundation. You don't just want to jump mm-hmm. into these things and throw things at people and say, hey, this is what you know, GitLab's doing. We should do the exact same thing. Like you may not be ready for it. Yeah. You may need to set some foundations, make sure people feel safe, make sure people feel secure where they are and then say, Hey, let's, there's this cool new thing. It's, it's just like one level up from what we're doing. Let's try it for a quarter or for uh, six months and see what happens. Um, so yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of going through those uh, levels. No, that's beautiful. And, you know, and again, well, that that's all on your website. And I, and I definitely encourage people to to just take the assessment as a place of even just exploring of, oh, okay, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Because I think I think one of the things that that I see and when I experience myself is sometimes if you don't see what could be possible, it's mm-hmm. hard to even imagine yeah. what it could look like. And, you know, I mean, and I feel like there's we're constantly having moments of, oh, that's a little sometimes it's a little bit like oh duh like that makes so much sense but because because we've never experienced it before or or seen it or heard about it it's hard for us to imagine the possibilities and boy we have again we have such an opportunity we just have such an opportunity i i really hope i really hope that in 2030 work does look different yeah. and that it isn't just sliding back to more of the same and even if it's not collectively that we have enough of a momentum and movement going and and it's not you know it's not always going to be comfortable i mean that's the thing with experimenting is sometimes sometimes it takes energy and, yep. and 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 i and i appreciate your point of make sure you have a good foundation because if if we're already shaky and we keep like <laughs> shaking it up more we we do need a little bit of stability to say okay where are we going to and 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 um and not from a you know we always joke with people when we talk about experimenting we're not talking about you know scientific standards here but just let's try this yeah. for a couple of months and and let's see and then then let's adjust and and you know we're constantly going well, well let's just try this and and then let's see. And if we rotate too far, then we adjust and that's what we do, but we don't, we don't adjust right away. We give it some space. Um, yeah. I would just encourage people to just remember, this is hard. This is not easy to, to to make this transition. Um, especially when it comes, we've talked a lot about how we collaborate together. Like I'm, I'm throwing terms at you like fidelity and, and asynchronous versus synchronous. And where is that going? What kind of context is going with that? And what kind of access do people have to that things? Like, we're not used to that. I'm just used to people in the office. Yeah. Just like, hey, I just say what I want to say. And people who are around me get it. Like, that's Hear fine. It. <laughs> um, it takes a lot of work. Now, like, with my team, whenever I want to tell them something very important, I'm typing out a lot of stuff. I'm creating a, a Loom video to talk through it, to mm-hmm. share it. I'm sending that ahead of time. I'm mm-hmm. maybe scheduling a calendar meeting to discuss that. I'm asking them to put their comments on the document before the meeting so that we're using that meeting time to get in deep. Um, and then I'm documenting that meeting afterwards, talking about decisions, putting that up into more of a, a very durable wiki type thing. Like this is this is not easy stuff. This is not yeah. what we're used to. Yeah. But it, it is kind of 
required to, to work at a, at a great level. Um, so don't be discouraged yeah. if it's like, uh, this, like I thought it was going to be fun and easy and we all have these yeah. lovely <laughs> nomad lives. Like it's, it still takes a lot of work and it's a lot of muscles we're not used to working. Right, right. I mean, the habits, it will feel it will, it will feel laborious, yep. because we aren't used to working in that way. That's what when we're working with, you know, people building relationships, virtually is, yeah. it's going to feel inauthentic. And it's going to, it may feel inauthentic. And it may feel like it's going to take more time just because it isn't the norm. But, you know, again, staying anchored to the bigger purpose of but but long term, what can it gain us? And how do we stay anchored to that? But and and pace it because it can't I mean, especially now, as humans, we're so fatigued from decision yeah. fatigue and uncertainty. And so, so, so pace yourself. And, and that can be tricky, too, when you might have people who are like, let's, let's get there. And other people who are just like, well, let's, yeah. let's slow down. Um, Neil, I want to be really thoughtful of your time. Before we before we wrap up, I want to ask you the question we ask everyone. Which is, you know, as we think about this idea of having conversations, and I and I so appreciate this conversation. Um, but but about you personally, what is a conversation you've had with yourself or with someone else that transformed you? When I think about that question, my my first thoughts go back to my days in India, um, and I was actually like in between roles and jobs. I'd been fired twice for like the first time in my life. It was like very mm. upsetting for me trying to figure out what had happened um, and and tried to do something new um, and tried to do something on my own, which I also had never crossed my mind um, to, to try something like that. And that conversation, which is familiar to what we're talking about now of just like, what's what's likely to happen? Like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Like, mm. what does this mm. look like? Do other people do this? Yeah. Um, is it work for them? Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah. If you fail, mm -hmm. are you still okay? Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. like being willing to like step out of all those doubts and that kind of bubble of doubt that, that surrounds most of us in our work lives and experiment and just to say like, what happens if I step out of this? And it's not that bad and it's not as hard as you think it's going to be. Um, and so that, that conversation I had with myself, you know, uh, 12 years ago, was very formative for me to be like, I'm, I'm much less afraid of what the future will hold and, and what will happen than I used to be. So I, I'll always remember mm -hmm. that conversation. I love that. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate that. And thanks for coming by a second time. Yeah, let's do it again <laughs> next week. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> 8.30, same time, same channel. Yeah. Um, for uh, for people who are listening to this and who want to connect with you and who want to learn about, you know, the work that you do or how you might be able to support their journey, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, so like thedigitalworkplace.com is where all of our resources are. Uh, Neil Miller on LinkedIn. Um, Twitter is not too hard to find. But yeah, those places are, are where you can find me. Yeah, perfect. And we will, again, put those all in the show notes. Neil, thank you so much. I always leave our conversations expanded and thinking differently and uh, excited to to be, be on this journey with you to rethink what works looks like in the future. So thank you. Me too, Sarah. It's, it's always nice to connect with you. I really appreciate your work and how you are moving forward the cause of work where you are. And the, I'm just cheering you on from my home in Indiana, too. Thank you. Our guest this week has been Neil Miller. One of the things that I'm really taking away from is that part of the conversation near the end when we were talking about how to spend time and he offered that that perspective of 
do the thing that only in person can do when you have that opportunity. Because I think there's definitely a huge opportunity for us in our work and even in supporting our clients to think differently about that. And we want to hear from you. So if there are things that resonated or things you have question about, please reach out to us at podcast at saranolwilson.com, where you can find me on social media, where my DMs are always open. And if you'd like to find out more about our work and how we can help support your team to have conversations that matter, check us out at saranolwilson.com. And if you haven't yet, please pick up a copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. We have an audio book, will be coming soon. And if you'd like to support the show, which we certainly appreciate all the supporters we have through listening and downloads, but if you want to go a step further, consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where not only your financial support will sustain this podcast and the incredible team that makes it possible, but you'll get access to some pretty great swag and additional insight and access to information. And if you haven't already done so, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can do this on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. This helps us in getting the word out and continuing to bring on amazing guests like Neil. And I want to just give a huge shout out uh, to the team that makes this podcast possible. You get to see and hear my voice, but there's a whole team behind me. To our producer, Nick Wilson, sound editor, Drew Knoll, transcriptionist, Olivia Reinert, marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit Nelson, and the rest of the Snowco crew, thank you. And a final thank you to our guest, Neil Miller. I always enjoy the conversations that I'm able to have with him and leave with new perspectives and imagining new possibilities. This has been conversations on conversations. Thank you all so much for listening. And please remember that when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and with each other, we can change the world. So please take care and don't forget to rest and rehydrate and we'll see you again next week.